and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today's show is hosted by Dana von der Heide. Her guest is Penny Register Shaw, the Vice President of Last Mile Transportation at Walmart. Penny is having an impressive career in logistics. She's a lawyer by trade and has held a number of influential positions at iconic companies like FedEx and Amazon. And I think it's fair to say that she's an inspiring role model in an industry that could benefit from more female empowerment. And that's what today's edition of the Logistics Tribe is about. But both Penny and Dana are experts in last mile e-commerce deliveries, so they are sharing a lot of valuable insights on this topic. I am super proud to be able to present to you this very special episode of the Logistics Tribe. Let's go. Okay, welcome everyone. I am particularly excited today to introduce you to our next guest here at the Logistics Tribe. It's no other than Penelope Register Shaw, who is the um, head of uh, transportation for Walmart, last mile transportation vice president there. But she also has previous experiences with Amazon and FedEx. So no one better to share more about her experience about being a female in the last mile world. Welcome to the tribe, Penny. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here, uh, uh, Dana. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Thank you for dialing in also all the way from the US. Uh, we had the different time zones, time zones changes, and of course, the crazy times of COVID to battle with. So really appreciate you making the time and sharing a little bit more about your professional career and maybe some insights on the logistics industry as well. I'd be happy to. Yes. And I noted that there was definitely a time zone difference when I started getting emails from you this morning at 4 a.m. my time. So <laughs> well, that's probably the new work life that we are all dealing with. Yeah, there's exactly. never time off in logistics either. So really appreciate uh, you making it. Penny, I think uh, many of uh, our listeners will probably have heard you. I saw you at many different talks at Post and Parcel Live. We had the honor of being at a panel together. But if you don't mind, uh, especially with your remarkable background in logistics, do you want to give us a short introduction about yourself? Uh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I started out my work life as uh, an attorney, and I was in private practice for many years, and I advised uh, governmental officials. That was really what I did. So I drafted legislation, I lobbied, I helped them with their debt financing and their budgeting. And through that, um, I met the governor of Rhode Island, who uh, took a chance with a very young woman and made me the chairman of the Public Transportation Authority. And in that role, I was in charge of moving people around. But there was a very big logistical aspect of that. So I ran the bus system, the ferry system, the light rail system. And I started to learn about density of routing and, and being on time and not being on time and all of the metrics that then lead into the movement of packages. And um, so I became very interested in this. I would go to work uh, at the Public Transportation Authority from, say, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., and then I would go do my day job as an attorney. Um, so I, when I left there, uh, after I had my, my daughter, 
I um, started working at FedEx and I was at FedEx for 20 years in a variety of different roles. But the one that I loved the most was as uh, a member of the chief strategy office. And this was advising the CEO and the COO on ways to expand the footprint of FedEx, not only geographically, but with different product offerings and diff- through acquisitions and, and, and adjacent spaces to the Air Express movement of really B2B. Um, type things. And so this gave me uh, a license to hunt, which I'm not sure if that that's a Southern (laughs) phrase, but uh, what it really meant was there was no topic that was off out of bounds for me. I could be curious about almost anything. And, um, and so I was, um, and, Yeah. So um, after 20 years at FedEx, uh, I was approached by an ex-FedEx person to go to Amazon. And um, that is where my journey that was totally devoted to Last Mile began. Um, It was a big shift for me because at FedEx, as I say, I had a range of issues that I could Mm -hmm. jump from one to the other to the other uh, each day. At Amazon, it is about concentrating on one thing very deeply until you get it right. Last mile in that case, right? Yes, yes. And and, and so um, at Amazon, I learned a whole different skill set which we can come back to. Um, But I'm going to just briefly touch on, I I worked at a startup in Seattle doing a variety of things and then went to Walmart. Uh, Really, I like to call it Jet.com because it was right after the acquisition of Jet.com by Walmart. So it was an expansion for Walmart into a different customer base with different offerings in the last mile space. That, as you know, isn't where Walmart grew up. (laughs) Absolutely. And you've been there since 2019, right? Yes, the beginning of 2019. Fantastic. Yeah, I think for everyone listening, uh, certainly one of the most uh, outstanding female profiles in the logistics industry. Um, so a real honor to have you. And there was so much in there that you mentioned already. I can't wait to kind of use um, our today's session to look into the details a little bit. And maybe we start at the beginning. A lawyer that then gets into the logistics industry, first transporting people, later transporting parcels and making sure they all arrive on time. Did you think you would end up in the logistics industry right from the start? Um, No, I didn't really. But um, I just kept finding myself there. Um, I, uh, in my role as an attorney, uh, and the interests of my clients were all about um, building a new airport, 
opening new runways at an existing airport, uh, working on bridges and roads and the infrastructure in their state. And, and somehow it always was a pathway back to transportation and movement and giving people access. Um, and, and I didn't quite realize what the common theme was uh, until uh, probably 10 years into it. And, and I thought, you know, what is it that keeps coming up time and time again? And, and it was logistics. Absolutely. And I think in current times where, you know, uh, a ship is stuck in the Suez Canal yes. to vaccines being delivered all over the world to e-commerce booming logistics, also in my eyes, couldn't be a more interesting, more relevant and more impactful industry. Um, but I think we're seeing a very few females in the industry still. And I'd love to get your opinion on that later on. But you said one very interesting thing as well. You said there was someone that gave you the chance, uh, a stepping stone into the industry. Can you share a little bit more about the yeah the encouragement and maybe also the opportunity you received there? Yeah, so I um, I moved from the south. You can probably hear that in my voice that I have a Southern American accent that is very pronounced. Uh, I was born in Alabama. I actually only lived in Alabama for five years, but this accent took hold and it can get uh, a little bit less and a little bit worse depending on who I'm around. But I moved to New England where I knew no one and I was yeah. so um, isolated and lonely and homesick and um, and uh, I had been practicing law maybe three years at that time. Um, my husband went there, um, my first husband went there uh, in order to attend Brown University. And uh, I met this guy who had just run unsuccessfully for governor and his name was Joe Walsh. And uh, I think about Joe Walsh at least once a week, but uh, Joe just started taking me around and introducing me to everyone, and he knew everyone in the state of Rhode Island and most people in the state of Massachusetts. And he would tell people how wonderful I was, how smart I was, how energetic I was. And um, he, he actually put me on the podium for this speech in front of about 500 people. And I I um, he did the introduction of me, and then he walked to the back of the uh, of the room, and I could see him in the back, sort of sleeping against the wall while I was speaking. <laughs> and but the speech went very well. And as we were driving back to the office, I said to him. Uh, well, you said X, Y, Z in your introduction of me. At me. He said, uh, how, I said, how did you know that I was confident and brilliant and an expert in this area? And he said, I didn't. <laughs> he just, he just believed in me and, yeah. and put me out there and supported me. And, uh, He became my first, first and probably best mentor. 
And this is such an amazing story. And I'm so grateful you're sharing it with us because I think we all know so many people from different backgrounds, different, uh, yeah, you know, with different obstacles to deal with. But I think we all just really need someone that believes in us and gives us the opportunity and the encouragement to take the step. And uh, yeah, might it be a step into a specific industry or just a step on the podium? I think we all really need our Joe Welches out there. But uh, this was just the start of your career in the logistics industry. Maybe um, you share with us a little bit on the move to FedEx. We, we all know them, uh, logistics giants, so to say, where you were in a very interesting, super exposed um, position to actually talk about the strategies. What was it that kind of got you there? And maybe also what was one of the exciting things you worked on? Yeah, so um, when I got to FedEx, I was so shocked and surprised to learn that FedEx didn't just move these overnight letters. That that was my sort of concept of FedEx before I got on the inside. And um, I'm, a, I'm a voracious reader. And, and FedEx laid out its um, the way it operated very clearly. Uh, they have a, a, a phrase called people service profit. So there was a people manual that talked about how you treat the people. There was a service guide that talked about what were the product offerings and when the pickup would be and when the cutoff times would be. And there was a profit manual that talked about how you approved financial decisions and contracting. And I read those uh, documents probably 15 times in my first five weeks of being with the company. And, and really ha was able to get a very firm grasp on what it was that FedEx said yes to and what it was that FedEx said no to. And uh, that was a really great foundation for me. And from that, I could talk to the people who were innovators within the company knowing um, what the background was, what the history of the company was, and, and then how the company needed to move forward in order to be relevant. Um, I probably joined after FedEx had been in existence almost 25 years, mm -hmm. and, um, and FedEx really had a desire at that time to be Uh, relevant and innovative and a leader for the next 25 years. So formed a team of people charged with reinventing FedEx. That was the mission and the goal. And they did not want a lawyer on that at all. Um, so I was sent a, as a, a lawyer on this team too, but not as a member. Um, and I was really supposed to be, I see in retrospect, spying on what people were doing. <laughs> but Making after, sure everything is correct and in the legal bounds, yeah? Yes, yes. But after I had been uh, participating for about two weeks, they said, oh, wait, we want her on the team because she brings this 
very different perspective to what um, what we're doing. And, and she is always the one that if we're trending towards a group, group think kind of outcome, uh, she's the one that's going to pull us back from that. So I was really flattered. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, in these times, probably diversity on so many aspects wasn't a big Uh, issue yet or basically a bit matter of the mind and the heart but like uh, valuing diverse opinions obviously played a big role already how was it actually when you look back into the years at FedEx uh, you know you were a woman that is not from the industry entering uh, you know very exposed roles in the strategy department uh, were there a lot of other female powerhouses around you um, there were. There were probably five or six of us that uh, over the course of a four-year period came onto the team and off of the team because it really was set up to be uh, a rotation. You always wanted fresh thoughts and, and uh, fresh people cycling in and off of the team. Now, uh, some people didn't work out very quickly. And, and I will say that uh, as a general rule, uh, male or female, it was people who came from the marketing department because uh, they really had an eye. They, as I said at the beginning, these, uh, we had these guides that were very, very clear about what FedEx was and what FedEx wasn't. And they could not break out of that mold to see what was possible. And, um, but yes, there were uh, other very strong opinionated women on, on the team. And I loved that. But one way in which the team was organized that really played to one of my weaknesses actually was that on every single topic, every single person had to give some comment. So, okay. yeah, it was a very deliberately organized structure where you went, not necessarily around a circle, but whatever the topic was, you had to hear from everyone. So the same voices weren't drowning out other voices every single time. But then it could have played to one of your strengths, no? You said that might have been a weakness? Well, a weakness in that um, I tend to speak very slowly. I tend to have a halting voice. I tend to take long pauses while I'm talking. But when it was my turn, no one could interrupt me. No one could say, yeah, yeah, that's my idea. That's exactly what I was going to say, you know, and, <laughs> and, and take, the, take, take the ball away from you, uh, which happens. Well, that's a Not very just... fortunate position for a new joiner to be in, right? At least you have the time to express your opinion. So uh, probably also uh, a helpful helpful setting for someone new to the industry, no? Uh, absolutely. And I think in general for women, that's a good way for, for meetings to be structured because a lot of times women are are standing back, and I don't mean to be overly general here, but it is hard 
to be the loudest one in the room, to get attention, to have your ideas heard and or validated. Um, I think we've all been in a meeting where you say something and then 15 minutes later, the person sitting at the front of the table says exactly the same thing. And all of a sudden, it's the most brilliant idea anyone's ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I still wonder whether that happens to more women than men. Uh, but maybe our listeners have an opinion on that. Feel free to add your comments uh, wherever you saw this, uh, this post. We would be very curious to hear. Um, Penny, since you brought it up, and I'm sure, uh, you know, it wasn't always like that uh, in in your future career. Uh, did you feel like your behavior changed in the logistics industry? How did you make sure your voice always gets hers? Yeah, um, I tried very hard not to lose the core of who I was. And the core of who I am is to... Uh, and I've taken a lot of the personality tests and, and uh, online quizzes and things like that over the years to know that what really drives me is to help others, acts of service. So I tried very hard not to lose that part of me that could identify when somebody was struggling and might need help and assistance. But but um, I, I, there was an opposing force to that, which was to be very matter of fact, either very black and white, either you hit the delivery time or you didn't. There are no ifs, ands, or buts around there. And Specifically to, in transportation, right? Yes. Um, it's either there or it's not, huh? Exactly. And no excuses and no exceptions. And, and so, um, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a struggle because lawyers are always looking for nine uh, to establish the facts, but are looking for, uh, I'd say the edge cases, maybe. Mm -hmm. That's the training of a lawyer. And that's not what you should be doing in the logistics space. You should be very black or white and firm and confident. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, uh, you seem to have mastered it because FedEx, despite being there for, I think, over 16 years, right? It wasn't... Uh, even the last dates in your career, but you moved on to Amazon. I think, yeah, yes. in recent times, everyone knows Walmart or Amazon. They are uh, maybe becoming the next logistics giant. I'm sure you have an opinion on that, but maybe share a little bit about your time at Amazon, if you don't mind, and how you got there. Yeah, so um, I uh, actually was in Seattle for uh, an officer and director's meeting for FedEx. And uh, this was in the summer of 2015. And I stayed over uh, on the weekend to attend two concerts. And uh, the first one was One Direction. And I had convinced uh, three of my friends to stay over and see One Direction with me. And we just as an aside, we went into the concert space and they kept trying to direct us to the the holding pen where the parents were waiting for their children to come oh, no. out. And I, 
And I kept saying, oh, no, I have fifth row seats. <laughs> I'm on the floor. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, uh, I had stayed for the One Direction concert and the Rush concert. And um, when I was at the Rush concert, I ran into someone who had been at FedEx, who I had gone through this uh-huh. leadership training with. And uh, I, uh, you know, really admired, liked this guy. He was brilliant. And um, uh, sometime during the following week, he called me up and said, you know, I've been thinking about uh, a role for you at Amazon. And uh, I was intrigued by that. And the first role that he described to me um, was around building an indirect air carrier for Amazon. And, um, and that was very appealing to me because that certainly played on uh, the, the core of FedEx when I joined, which was as a cargo airline and an indirect air carrier. And I had been working in that area for about nine years trying to expand air freight forwarding for, at FedEx. Hmm. Um, ultimately, it turned into this last mile space. And... Um, his vision was that I could come in and build a last mile delivery network while avoiding some of the pitfalls that FedEx had encountered in that area through their mm-hmm. use of independent contractors. And, and so that was really what my mission was to build something that was scalable and sustainable and yet uh, took uh, a lot of lessons from the history of others who had gone down this road and perhaps uh, been faced with class action lawsuits or attorney generals coming in and challenging the business model or the department yeah. of labor and uh and 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 so I could bring both of the things that I was confident that I was good in um to the table awesome absolutely impressive and uh, basically can you share a little bit uh, what was the stuff that you directly impacted for for those of us who've been using amazon at the time <laughs> well, uh, it was really what's called the delivery service provider at the time is what mm-hmm. the name was, delivery service provider network. It's now called the delivery service partner network. And it had been uh, started in the UK maybe three years before I uh, joined Amazon. And in the UK, uh, it was an entirely independent contractor network. And then in the U.S., it was started a little more recently, and it was a number of companies who then employed drivers on behalf of, uh, and that were dedicated to Amazon work. And so the 
what I found was fairly uh, a fairly loose configuration of service providers, lots of experimentation and innovation about how to organize this program, and um, and also one that had uh, just encountered some fairly negative press. So mm-hmm. I had, uh, my idea was I need to stabilize this network and get through my first peak and prove that this is a very viable delivery option during that first peak, which was in 2016. And um, another person that I had known at FedEx Uh, gave me fairly good advice, I thought, which was at Amazon, you prove yourself during peak. So I had, yeah, I had been there about two months, but I was determined that I was going to prove myself in peak of 2016. Um, So then all of 2017 was spent on, uh, again, I called it stabilizing the program, which was having uh, a set of guidelines on how you selected vendors, what the scorecard was for the vendors, what the what metrics they were expected to hit, when we would review them with them, um, safety very high on my agenda, if not number one, uh, giving them the training and the tools to be safe on the road. Yeah. Very important yeah. one for sure. And maybe for everyone listening, I think picking the right uh, last mile service provider is probably something that moves a lot of our listeners as well. Uh, maybe from your experience, do you have like two, three things that you feel maybe are often overlooked, but uh, should be extremely important next to the uh, safety uh, measures that you already mentioned? What's the stuff people should look out for more when they choose their last mile providers? Yeah, well, I'm going to prove right now that I'm a lawyer. Uh, so uh, part of the part of the due diligence that I I thought was important was looking at the financial backing of the companies that we were doing mm-hmm. business with. Um, in other words, um, how long had they been in existence? Had they ever run into a bankruptcy claim or a lot of lawsuits? Um, that was very important to me because I didn't want them distracted by, can I pay my bills? Can I, do I have to go give 15 depositions? I wanted the owners and the company and the employees of that company to be able to focus on the customer obsession piece that Amazon is so known for, uh, providing perfect uh, perfect delivery. Um, so that was something that I didn't feel got uh, much um, attention um, mm-hmm. by the account managers when I joined. But that's probably also making it super hard for uh, new businesses, uh, startups, uh, kind of people just setting up uh, to then be chosen, right? Because obviously they don't have a long trajectory and, you know, profitability is is a difficult matter for many of them. Um, How did you feel about or how do you feel uh, until today about like partnering 
with startups, you know, with your local metropolitan delivery guys that just started up. We see like gorillas and Volt here in Europe, all the guys on a bike uh, roaming around the city, delivering very fast and efficiently. How do you feel about this now, like working with these newcomers in the space? Yeah, um, so uh, I did learn this at, at Amazon. You can hold two completely competing ideas at once that seem on their face like they would be mutually exclusive, mm -hmm. but they're, uh, you can have them both beliefs. And, and I do believe in working with startups and, and listening to them along their learning journey to figure out, oh, what is it that they face, that almost every one of them will face in their first year of existence and solving that problem with them or for them. And, um, and so um, that, that really is what the Amazon uh, iterations on this DSP program are meant to do enable um, new entrepreneurs and, and, and through that enablement, start addressing what are the common problems that come up over and over again. So, um, yeah, so I can say for that original set of people, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to see a history of operation and metrics and financial viability, but I also wanted to be able to layer in and supported layering in entrepreneurs who would do anything that it took to make a perfect delivery. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, while you'll probably get a lot of stability from the existing players, the flexibility uh, usually comes uh, from the newcomers, right? That try to find still the best service and cater to your needs. So yes. probably a good mix is, uh, is something to look out for for everyone. Um, anything yeah. else? Any other secret ingredient you feel uh, shouldn't, uh, should always be taken into consideration when, uh, when picking a last mile service provider network? Yeah. Um I believe that the people behind the wheels of the trucks or riding the bikes uh, are your brand ambassadors. So mm -hmm. making that delivery person the, on the front line, your hero, your, your customer service representative, your a representative of your brand is is super important. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, but, um, but I do know that you can't do that if they have started their day by waiting around for two hours and they haven't been uh, allowed to, um, you know, go to the bathroom <laughs> or, oh, you know, yeah. Um, so you really have to set those drivers up for success. They are the heroes in this business. Um, so that was yeah. also then always part of your negotiations to make sure that uh, they've been treated in a way that uh, makes them productive, but is also respectful and, and good for them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, Very cool. And that gets back to that 
me keeping the core of who I am, which is, you know, service to others is really something that, that motivates me. And being able to see that something that I have done directly or indirectly has an impact on improving someone's lives. So that is fantastic. Absolutely. And how did you maybe before we move over, uh, we are of course curious to hear more about your time at Walmart as well. But uh, since we have uh, the rare occasion to have two females talking about logistics, um, how did you feel maybe also at Amazon about, you know, a woman promoting woman? How can we make this industry more relevant to all the female talent out there? Was there an aspect in your time at Amazon that helped you promote that? Uh, yes, um, I, uh, let me, uh, I'm going to back up just for a moment. There was a time in my life where I just had my head down doing whatever task was immediately in front of me. Again, to use sort of a Southern American phrase, it, Uh, it was called shooting the alligator closest to your foot. So whatever alligator or snake is sometimes used to that was closest to my foot, I'd shoot it and then move to the next one. And through because of that, I didn't network a lot. I didn't uh, spend a lot of time... Uh, meeting people, having coffee with them, really getting to know them. At, at Amazon, I took a different tactic, which was that I really wanted to know the women who were successful in the company and how they supported their teams. And so I did spend a lot of time on that. And, um, and what And then also Amazon is a data-driven company. And so I was able to access the data of when people left their career in logistics and what was that inflection point and what were the factors that caused someone to, a female, to opt yeah. out And, and so I uh, proposed a program that would help women get through that, uh, that inflection point. Um, and I, 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 I have to say I didn't make much progress on it. Um, uh, I hope it still exists in some form or fashion there and that I left it behind. But, uh, but that was super important to me because I do think a lot of women, instead of um, pushing through, will just opt out. And, mm. and that's not the right answer for them as individuals and it's not the right answer for this industry so. absolutely and for the business growth as well right so what do right. you feel are the obstacles that uh, a woman should try to see through and maybe you know get support on by the ecosystem around this what did you feel are the most common grounds where where maybe the woman gave up too early uh, and um, maybe <laughs> a good reason for us to tackle to see more females in the industry going forward Uh, yeah, I think um, there are, oh, gosh, 
this is going to lead me into some generalizations, and and I should start by saying I, I do respect individuals. So um, they're they're. I'm just trying to think of some common themes. Um, I do think that at the time uh, women start to think about their families yeah, and uh, having children is, is a huge point of dropout where um, the, the support that says, please take time, time off and, and come back and you won't be have dug a hole that you'll never get out of mm-hmm. uh, is not always there. Um, and um, oddly enough, I think as more and more men take paternity leave, it gets easier for women to take maternity leave. Um, but for many years, uh, paternity leave was not uh, many years of my career, paternity leave was not, um, you know, a thing. May, how long has it been a thing in, in Germany? Um, well, in Germany for, for a bit longer, but I mean, the last yeah. few years that I, for example, spent in Asia, uh, there it's still uh, mostly unheard of. Yeah. So um, and even there, the maternity leave is relatively short. So I think I absolutely agree with you. There's so much to be done. Um, but uh, yeah, the more men that go through the same kind of hurdles and maybe also the challenges of coming back, you know, finding your old job, maybe handled by someone else for a while or maybe not even be able to get it back. I think the more men that experience this, and this is probably more gen- generic across the industry, um, the easier it might get for, for women to uh, then get the same opportunities despite having a break to focus on the family, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that is one of the points at which... There needs to be more support and encouragement for women um, in the industry. I I also think that there um, needs to be a more formalized mentor program. I mentioned Joe Walsh, and that was just serendipity that he came into my life and was a cheerleader and supporter for me. But... um, you know, it shouldn't be left to chance. Uh, do uh, have a champion. Do appoint a mentor who will help you through those things. Where and not judge you, and it 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 won't be part of your performance review. Um, it will just be supportive. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think we all need a Joe Welch in our lives that encourages us. Uh, I think we talked yes. about it before and mentors are a great way to to get there. And uh, yeah, it will probably also when you come to a new industry or a new business to have an easier way in, you know, to not always have the formal conversation with your colleagues, uh, but to have someone to ask in a little bit more of a casual setting. Yes, yes. And then I think a very good understanding that the pie is not finite. In other words, if there is one woman who gets a very large slice of the pie, doesn't mean there's no pie left for the next woman, um, if that analogy makes sense. Uh, 
I, I do think for many years it was presented to women. Uh, oh, we already have one woman at the table. When she dies or retires, we'll get another one. But, uh, um, you know, until then, we don't need <laughs> another woman. And, and, and I hope that's not what the current generation faces, but... Uh, and that I'm speaking with, uh, you know, a, a, an old and dated example, but I, I don't think so, actually. I think. Yeah, there's... I'm afraid we wouldn't have this conversation so in depth about these matters if they still yeah. wouldn't be relevant for many of us. Um, but maybe also looking a little bit ahead, uh, after a, a probably very exciting days at Amazon, you then uh, uh, joined Walmart, I think yes. a step in between as well. But maybe tell us also, you know, uh, landing a job at Walmart, how did you get there? Was it another concert, Penny? <laughs> Pretty much. It actually was. It was the same guy who uh, oh, wow. I had. Yeah, yeah. He had left Amazon and gone on kind of a learning journey of his own and um, and wanted to enable Walmart uh, to offer an alternative to Amazon. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm very uh, much choosing my words carefully here and specifically and pointedly. It is not about competing with Amazon. It's about opening up the same type of Amazon alternatives to more people because Walmart is within 10 miles of 90%. There is a Walmart within 10 miles of 90% of the population. And that, the Walmart shopper historically has not been an online shopper. So again, it's making the pie larger, not dividing up a finite pie. So that was really the mission. And, and there were a number of people who, who believed enough in this person uh, to follow him to Walmart. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I keep referring back to Jet uh, and to Jet.com and, and want to um, not replicate the path that Amazon had been on, Uh, but um, uh, I guess do something somewhat similar uh, without some of the defects that were present along the way at Amazon, uh, only because Amazon was very scrappy and moved quickly and then iterated back to fix those defects later. Um, it was begin without them at Walmart. Mm. So you're basically uh, trying your best to get things right right from the get-go, is it, this time at, uh, yes. at Walmart? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good uh, combination of FedEx, which will study things for months and months and months before it's introduced to the marketplace, and Amazon, who will build something overnight, introduce it, take it down, introduce it on a Monday, take it down on a Wednesday, 
rebuild it over the weekend, reintroduce it on Monday. Uh, so it was somewhere in between those two. <laughs> and um, I can imagine that Walmart has a whole new kind of challenges at hand and opportunities, right? Like you mentioned, they're so close to the people. Almost every uh, Walmart is a micro-fulfillment hub in its own, yes. right? It's so easy to bring things very, very close, extremely close to your doorstep. And I think there have been a lot of changes also lately with Walmart uh, kind of removing the $35 uh, minimum uh, for the express delivery orders. And you guys made pretty big steps ahead. What would you say are like the... The exciting things, maybe things Walmart is approaching differently when it comes to last mile transportation. Yeah, I, I think you hit up on it uh, just a moment ago. I think the micro fulfillment aspect and then, of course, um, which moves into micro last mile. Uh, so what is the beginning point of a package's journey uh, to the consumer? Um, I think Walmart is, is doing experimentation on, on both those fronts and trying to find the right way to uh, attract new customers um, And, and serve their old customer in new ways. And a lot of it is ordering online and picking up at store, expanding the footprints at the stores to be those smaller fulfillment centers, um, picking the right assortment of products that people are wanting to get repeatedly online. I don't think that Walmart wants to be the everything store that uh, that Amazon set out to be. Yeah. And what impact does it have on the last mile when you choose a last mile provider now? Is there a different set of criteria you're looking for? Um, yes, I think uh, it is that Geography and cost becomes more important uh, in the Walmart world because most of uh, Walmart's historic customers have been rural. And, and so having a service provider that can go um, into less densely populated uh, zip codes is is more important. Yeah. So. so this gives a fantastic chance for the smaller businesses then again, the local heroes, so to say, right? Exactly. I like that. The local heroes. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing that... Uh, That really uh, reminded me of a very important aspect that you mentioned earlier is you said Amazon is a data company. And I think when it comes to last mile, it's a very metrics driven um, kind of uh, service uh, where you need to know where are all the parcels at any given point in time. What's your experience with getting the right data for decision making on the last mile? How do you handle this? Yeah, um, there is... There are so many numbers that come at you every day. And, and what I like to know 
first and foremost about that information that's coming to me is what is the latency and accuracy of that information? Because uh, unfortunately, a lot of times I am given data that the person handing it to me says right away, right off the bat, oh, you know, there are 20,000 experience points that are missing from this data. And, uh, and I'll say, okay, so, you know, why am I supposed to rely on this if, if you've introduced it to me saying it's, it's, it's not complete and it's not accurate. So, um, I think being slavishly devoted to data that might not be accurate uh, is, is, is wrong, the wrong way to go. Uh, it creates a false sense of confidence in what you're looking at. So let's say we get past that hurdle and what you've been given is, uh, is accurate and, and up to date. And recent, yeah. Yeah, and recent. Then, then I still think you need to dive into it deeply and ask about any obvious anomalies in it and what are the root causes of that data. And then you cannot check your common sense at the door. You have to use your experience, your common sense, to ask those final three or four questions about why did this defect occur and how can we uh, keep it from happening in the future? And is there a way to automate that uh, remediation or is it always gonna be human intervention? And, um, you know, in this area, there's still a lot of things that are human intervention. And if it's human intervention, then it needs to be about training and training and training. Absolutely. So getting the right data and then try to make it real time as correct as possible and any intervention as automatic as you can is probably a little bit of the secret code you can give to our listeners that are optimizing their last mile at the moment. Thank you for uh, summarizing my rambling that way. That's exactly what I meant to say. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all your experience, Penny. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm having a look at the time. I think there's still so much more to talk about, but I think I want to end on maybe what is your encouragement uh, for the women out there that want to enter logistics? Maybe you can share a few tips and tricks that you uh, feel might help them to get the right path and uh, maybe a similarly successful career like yours. Oh, well, thank you. Um, Yeah, I think if you are a problem solver, someone who likes puzzles, who likes to ferret out little pieces of information and build it together until you see a big picture, that's really what logistics is about to me. It's... um, being able to be very curious and and uh, involved in your community and and being a problem solver, a sleuth. Uh, so I'm going to romanticize the inner industry a little bit uh, that way. You know, you're 
you're the Sherlock Holmes of your era if you enter this uh, this industry, and and you are definitely enabling people who otherwise would not have access to goods. You're enabling them to to have that access and expand their horizons. So I, I, that's what I see it as. Um, it's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Penny. I think uh, there's no better words to uh, end our podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute honor to have you. I always say we need more female role models in logistics, and you certainly are one of them. Thank you so much for sharing all this, for taking the time, and we will all keep a lookout uh, for your career path and surely get inspired by it. Um, thank you very much for having well, us and joining the tribe, Penny. Thank you, thank you so much, and uh, and it has been my great honor to meet you and to hear about what you're doing and and join the tribe. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Penny. All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Penny Register Shaw from Walmart. I don't know about you, but I really, really enjoyed listening to this conversation. If you did too, then consider giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That will help other people find us more easily. And please subscribe to the Logistics Tribe podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time. 